With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Hi there, listeners, and welcome to a special edition of the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Menes, a.k.a. Andrew Menzel. Joining me as ever is Paul, the summer game. Dennett, how are you, Paul? Great, Menes. How are you? You've upset me before the show's even started because we were waiting and you said to me Michael Clark was a better on-field captain than Steve Ward. So uh, I was going to axe you at the last minute, but I thought I'll keep you on. Because <laughs> Ironic got... that you're going to axe me because that is axiomatic. <laughs> we've got a very special guest this week. Taken from his work bio, who he says is the world's biggest sports fan. He's the grill team captain on Sydney radio station Triple M every morning. He currently has a show on the ABC TV called Man Up. But cricket fans will know this gentleman from his hit reality TV series on Foxtel. It was an Aussie Goes Barmy, an Aussie Goes Bolly, and an Aussie Goes Calypso. Welcome to the show, Gus Warland. Thank you. I've been a long-time listener, so nice to come on, boys. Thanks, Anna. G'day, Paul. G'day. It's great to have you on. Obviously, when you got this gig following the Australian cricket team around, I was really <laughs> envious. How did you score that one? Well, it was an idea that I came up with, actually, and without, you know, I, I, I've got to say his name. People say name drop it all the time, but um, I was actually at Lords with Hugh Jackman. He's been a mate since primary school. And, and for we, cricket fans who don't take a lot of notice of the outside world, he's an actor. He's yeah. on the movie Wolverine. Yeah, Wolverine, Australia. And he was actually doing a movie called Scoop with um, uh, Woody Allen in London. And uh, he was walking along Harrods and uh, Ricky Ponning was in a car going to shopping with his missus on a day off. And sort, of, and sort of went, hey, Hugh. And they sort of came over and they met. He said, you've got to come to Lords and watch. The boys would love to see you. We'll get you some tickets. And he gave a name of a lady to, for Jacko to call. So Jacko rang me and said, mate, Ricky Ponning. Firstly, he knows who I am because I'm so excited as cricket fans. And secondly, he said, we can get some tickets to Lords. Would you like to come down? And I was living in Lincolnshire at the time. So I brought my son down and we went to the first day of the Lords Test in 2005, which, of course, was a test match we won and the only test match yeah. we won in that series, which, of course, we had uh, Glenn McGrath twisting his ankle on the ball in the second test and it all went downhill from there. But one of the great series, and Jacko and I ended up having a really great night with the Australian cricket team in the dressing room. And then the next night after they'd won the test match on day four, we had another couple of drinks with Damien Martin, Warney and a few of the other boys. And I don't know, Jacko and I came up with this idea of doing some sort of cricket show. We weren't sure why. And then eventually we came up... You piped up, up, I'll follow the team around? Something like that. And I said, what about these Barmy Army fans? And that got us thinking. And eventually we pitched the idea to Foxtel. And, you know, Jacko is the right man to pitch <laughs> ideas to Foxtel because they're bound to give him a bit of love. And that's what happened. And, and Aussie Goes Barmy was created. And we sold it to 18 different countries. Wow. It made money. And then from there it was Bolly and Calypso. And the rest is history. So are you still a massive cricket fan? Oh, yeah, I've been all my life. I, 
In fact, I used to go to the test matches and score the test match in my ABC scorebook. We've done that recently. Uh, a few of my mates and I have done that. It's the best way to watch. <laughs> it is the best way to watch because you're totally engrossed in the whole thing. I tried to get my son involved. Um, he's just a bit young and, or a little bit sort of born in 2000. They don't have that patience to yeah. do it. But, they, but he sort of looks at me oddly. But he understands my passion and love and... I mean, I'm watching cricket at home. I'm watching cricket on the net. I'm watching cricket with scores coming through on all the different apps. You know, I'm just an absolute tragic. I, I love it and I don't understand why not everyone in the whole world loves it. Now, so with your TV show, you got to know the English set of fans very well, mm. the Indian set of fans, yeah. and you got to travel around the West Indies. Yeah. Which were the best set of fans you spent time with or which did you click with the most? Oh, there's no doubt the Indian fans were the the, the best. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard though. It's like trying to pick your favourite kid. I mean, all three of them were fantastic. The Barmy Army are amazing and that comes off all the soccer and the chants and yeah. the songs. So that's an easy one to sort of... And their language was easy. They drink the same as us. They eat the same sort of food. So that was easy. India was challenging because we were in India and it was a one-day series and they loved their one-day cricket. So it was challenging getting to the grounds, getting in, the language sometimes... But at the end of the day, it was our best work. We were there for nine weeks. It was a huge success. And I've still got friends there and I've still got great memories. So for me, it's got to be the Indians. Behind religion and maybe for some of them in front of religion, the most important thing in their world is their England, Indian cricket team, full stop. And from that series, the, the whole the, the thing, thing people remember is the, the scene where the crowd was um, taunting Andrew Simons yeah. and your reaction to that. Does that annoy you that that's what everyone focuses upon? A, a little bit, a little bit. Channel 9 picked up on it straight away as well and they played a bit in the cricket show one afternoon. They had a little bit of rain in Sydney. Um, so Mark, Mark Nicholas threw to that package about Andrew Simons. So it got the show well known and we went from... 250,000 people watching the show to 480,000 just off a couple of minutes on Channel 9. So in a way, I was I was great that the show was getting more popular because of it. But unfortunately, at that time, we then had the Sydney Test match yeah. after that. There was a whole lot of bad blood amongst a few of the Aussies and a few of the Indians. The simple fact is they were calling him a monkey. There was tens of thousands of them doing that. And I felt like I was the only one in the crowd that could actually say something. Yeah. And then the crew turned around and said to me, you know what? We've got to get out of here because they could turn on us. Wow. And it got really nasty. It went from that quiet banter, you know, here's an Aussie bloke sitting amongst us because that's what the show was. It was sitting amongst the opposition fans, not sitting with the other Aussies that were there because there's plenty of tour groups that go to every match. And it turned on us and I went, you know what, bring them on. I was that angry. <laughs> and then I went down onto the ground and that's when I actually got a chance to speak to Andrew Simons and, and that's when he said he didn't really hear what they had said. But I think in hindsight he probably did but he didn't want to get caught up in yeah. it all do you think but, that yeah. was just a cultural misunderstanding between two countries there or was there no was I it don't more think sinister so. i definitely it was it was racism you know i really do believe that to be the case and um there was a pack mentality there's a couple of people that started it and if you spend any time in india they do tend to follow the loudest you know voice in the crowd and i think I don't think all of them felt the same way, but in the end they went, you know what, I'll just chant along with it. But certainly it started off as racism for sure. One thing that uh, annoys me a little bit is that the the Indian perception of the following, the 2008 test match in Sydney that then occurred, which 
you know, there's a lot of unpleasantness on both sides. Sure. But, but their perception is that it was 100% Australia behaving terribly. Yeah. And that is just like a fact amongst Indians. That um, that irritates me a little bit. It does. Well, Sachin Tendulkar came out and pretty much said, I, I, I believe our side of things, which meant that everyone in India just fell in line because what Sachin says goes. End of story. Um, put put a line under it. So he didn't leave any grey area at all. So India then jumped off the back of that because you don't want to go against Sachin. But I think anyone... Like, I can look at the Australian cricket team and say that we behave appallingly at times. I don't think Indians necessarily see it the same way. I think Aussies, you know, we sometimes, um, you know, we're a little bit um, hard on our sports stars, but I think we're sort of fairer than uh, than harsh. Now, so you've been to India, you've watched some cricket there. Have you got any advice for the Australian cricket team? I wouldn't say advice. What do you think Australia <laughs> needs to do to win their next year in the Test Series? Play spin bowling better. <laughs> so, so do you think we need to be more aggressive? Do you think the gung-ho attitude that we took to Sri Lanka was too much? Definitely. I mean, we batted appallingly, didn't we, in Sri Lanka? It was embarrassing the way that we played it. And, uh, you know, we bowled quite well and we fielded quite well, but our batting was terrible. And um, I don't know, we've just got to have someone in Australia that can play the spinning ball, play the ball going away from the bat. And then we go to, we go to England, we can't play the swinging ball. So we t- we're sort of flat track bullies at the moment. You're kind of lucky you haven't been touring recently with the Aussie team. I tell you what. The, you've had some pretty rough tours. Every, every we did with Barmy Army, we won 5-0. Um, in um, India, we won that the one-day series well. It was a rain out and we won five of the seven games. And then we had the easy win in, in, in the West Indies. Um, so you're right. It's been a pretty easy ride. But no, India is obviously a very difficult place to, to play. New Zealand there at the moment struggling um, in the one-days as well as the Test match. So we're going to be up against it. We've got to find guys that are happy to play for time, a bit of patience. You know, it's ugly fine. cricket, I think, was one of the quotes coming out this weekend. Yeah, we just, need to play ugly. We've got to just graft and just realise that, you know, if we're, if we're one for 60 at lunch rather than four for 132, that type of stuff, you know. And Davey Warner can only play one way. So whoever opens with him, if they decide to go with Marsh, if he gets through his injury, then you know that he's going to graft and, and work his way through. Smith's always going to have a crack. We've got these really, really aggressive, talented players that have grown up on one days and 2020s, and they want to play shots all the time. Well, perhaps they should just put that away for a little bit. Yeah, in foreign conditions, it's harder to play so expansively. Yeah. So you went on three tours. Yes, what was the cricketing highlight that stood out? Is there any one one innings or one moment that stands in your oh, memory? There's no doubt in the world the Adelaide Test Match, Test Match 2, 2006-7. Just amazing when we turned up on the last day and it was draw or England win. Australia winning was no chance and by about 5.30 that afternoon... Hussey whips one through and we've won the match. Warney was incredible that morning. He went through Peterson, the middle order of England. They just collapsed and just lost belief. And then Australia came out really aggressively, lost a few wickets, but batted really, really beautifully. And we went 2-0 up. And then, of course, we know from that moment, with that team knowing that all those folks are going to retire, it was amazing for then to see Gilchrist do what he did at the Wacker that afternoon against... Um, For the second against... quickest ever test century. And we're literally... I'm with the Barmy Army and they're going, he's got three balls to get the runs. He's got two balls to get the runs. He misses the record and straight away the Barmy Army, without missing a beat, start going, there's only one Vivi Richards or <laughs> one Vivi Re-. Like, it's so clever. And then the next ball, Gilly gets the runs and stuff. But we, you know, Monty Panasar was just 
dispatched up and over where the Barmy and I were Barmy Army and I were standing. What a great was, enduring memory. It was just unreal. And then of course we, we went on and to win that uh, whole series five nil. We saw Warney's seven hundredth wicket. I mean that series had a whole lot. And then of course in Sydney with all the boys coming over to the Barmy Army, the Aussie blokes and just clapping them and saying we appreciate what atmosphere you've brought to this series and then knowing then that all these players who we loved and who were 10-year, 15-year veterans were all going to walk out at the same time. It was a very emotional series. Was that it? series was, was on the back of the 2005 Ashes, which was the greatest series ever. And the, yeah. the, the, I remember the ticketing interest was so high and that the Australian Cricket Board were worried that the Barmy Army were going to um, take all of the seats, that they had that Australian cricket family introduced as a way to try to uh, slow down the ticket sales for the Barmy Army. And I remember the amusement of the English fans saying... <laughs> Come on, you know, yeah. we're going to get tickets. We've faced harder things than this getting tickets for. Exactly. Well, there was what the first test match of that series in Brisbane, which of course the first delivery of the day was the one the that Flintoff Flintoff caught off Harmison, you know, for a wide like and second we, slip. We just turned around, looked at each other, and I said, "You blokes are f u c k, dear. You're, you're you're done." And they all sort of went, "Oh no, here we go again." But from that moment, they gave the Barmy Army Bay 19, let's say, and then Bay 27 across the you know around there. They tried their best to sort of block out so they wouldn't have huge areas. It was a mistake by uh, Cricket Australia. They should give them two or three bays all together, let them to own that part of the ground, and to bring that unbelievable atmosphere absolutely Australians we don't sing as no. a general rule the odd Aussie 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 oi 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 we're pretty pathetic at it we prefer to sit and watch it and you know appreciate a good shot or a good bit of fielding or, or a wicket um, let yeah, them I think do Australian fans do. need to bring back the barrack I mean Yabba's been long gone but yeah. it, he hasn't been replaced the, the last World Cup I wouldn't notice how quiet Australian fans were compared to pretty much every other nation. Well, people are scared, you know what, now to say anything at a match in case someone's going to dial their number and get them thrown out or he's drunk on a couple of light beers. I mean, we've lost all the characters in Australian cricket and we've lost the character around the ground as well. You know, we've, we've got very to do... quiet. Having non-alcoholic children areas, family areas is brilliant. Fantastic. But that doesn't mean that the other areas have to be as quiet and so forth. Let the beer snake happen. Let the let the beach ball... Like, I was doing some stuff for the Sixers. The beach ball would come across, and I'd pick it up and chuck it in. And I'd get the security guard saying, if you do that again, mate, you're going to have to leave the field. I'm like, mate, <laughs> they're paying 20 bucks. It's 2020. It's, it's literally fun. Yeah. Let the beach balls happen. Who cares? But yeah. they're so bloody up themselves and so bloody stiff. And if some bloke tried to stand up and get some songs going, that bloke could be taken out for being a... Of course he would. ...leading the charge. We're so. lacking characters in the team. We're lacking characters um, on the outside of the field as well. Well, you've, you've led me into my next part of the... My next segment. There's been some big news, Gus, this week in Australian cricket. Rod Marsh is going to step down. This is what come out from Cricket Australia, we can confirm that Rod Marsh has decided not to continue on in his role as national selector once his contract expires in June 2017. At this stage, no decision has been made on his replacement. Well, I think Rod Marsh has got a lot of criticism in the last year, especially after the debacle in Sri Lanka. What do you guys think of his performance? What do you think, Paul? I think pretty weak. Um, I mean, on the, on the plus side, we won the World Cup and we got to number one in the rankings as a result. Um, and it's always hard to, you know, it's the players that do it ultimately. But what concerned me was his comments prior to the World T20 about India, talking about it, saying things like, well, we're going to have to rely on the people who've been there because we don't go there. We don't know a whole lot about it. He spoke about India 
as though it was on the moon and that it was inaccessible. <laughs> I, I just think that there, there needs to be someone in charge who is much, much more across things, much, much more modern. And I know I'm on the outside here, but I don't think it should be an ex-cricketer. I think that cricketers have spent all their time playing cricket. How could they possibly be able to analyse the game? Get someone who has actually watched the game and um, I'm making an application here for the job. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> uh, sign off with your uh, email address if they need to get hold of you. But get someone, I don't know, get someone with some proven smarts rather than just a, giving it to an, another ex-player. Well, that, that would be controversial and um, I hadn't thought of that, so I need to put some thought into that. I think Rod Marsh, as a general rule, would be looked upon as a failure. Um, I just think there's just too many big words. I think <laughs> I just think I just think there's just been too many op- too many things that have happened under his regime where you just feel it's a bit wishy washy yeah. and you just don't feel like he's absolutely been on on the button with it. Um, if you are going to go for an ex player, there's plenty of good ones around. I'd love to see Steve War head the whole thing. <laughs> oh, I mean, well, I'd love Steve War to, to head up everything. To do with Australian cricket? Just full stop. But, of course, he can't be everywhere and he's got a wonderful foundation. He's he's cycling around the the world pretty much. With Rob, back to Rob Marsh, sorry. So I think what Paul was saying is true. I think he's seemed a little bit out of touch. Yeah. And I think one area where Rod Marsh has really let the selection panel down is the way in which he communicates with the media. Absolutely. And I don't know if it actually needs the head selector to be the person that talks to the media because we're getting we got a lot of conflicting messages. As Paul said, there were comments that seemed to indicate Rod Marsh really wasn't across all formats, and yeah. it doesn't look good for the selectors. So perhaps it's better they say less rather than say more. Absolutely, just just and just stick to one line of. So even if you just have one guy, like a Justin Langer, for instance, right? Who no one can say that that he doesn't absolutely love Australian cricket and would be making sure that everything gets sorted out. So if he's available, you get someone like him or of his elk to be the one statesman. And then Steve Smith, all he has to do is actually captain the side. I mean, he's huge responsibility on still a very young man. Only a couple of years ago, he wasn't even in some of the teams. Now he's captaining them all. And we just expect him just to pick up and go. I mean, that debacle in Sri Lanka when he left the one day is now, it didn't, it worked out fine because Warner took it over. But the fact is that he told us all that he was sort of told, we really want you to do it. He wasn't really consulted that much. Um, in the end, he sort of did it because people said he should. And then he comes back to Australia and goes, well, Warner's doing a great job. But all that just is unprofessionally managed. So we just need it to... It looked really bad. It, it, Mixed messages. And, oh, and the problem was Smith copped a lot of criticism that he didn't not his deserve. Fault. That's right. And he probably did deserve a rest. Mitchell Stark deserved a rest. And then we've got a team out there getting spanked in South Africa, 5-0, which is the first time that's ever happened. And we've got all our guns back here. You can I mean, name... Um, Ten bowlers that weren't picked in that side that would have been picked. That's right. So we take so that series basically was a complete waste of time. Exactly. That's yeah. a complete money grab. So why don't we at some stage go? You know what? We're not going to do that because it's the the, the schedule's a bit chock a block. Can you imagine some from Cricket Australia turning down however much money they were going to be offered for that? No way. So we've now got a whole lot of blokes with caps for Australia that don't deserve them. Yeah, it's, it's it, I, I sympathise with Cricket Australia because it would be very hard to say no, we're not going to go when that's going to have some. Reciprocal effect. Maybe they wouldn't have wanted to play the day-night test match. Who knows? You've yeah. kind of got to scratch everyone's back. But um, the other thing that's disappointing about Marsh is that he's still going to be the one who selects the side for the upcoming tour of India. Yeah, I think once you make the decision that you're out of there and your contract, you know what? Cricket Australia got enough money. Pay him out the whatever it is, the last 40 or 50 grand of his contract and get the new bloke in there. Absolutely. It doesn't look good in any job when you're hanging on and you know you're about to leave. Exactly right. Especially when of all the selection challenges that Australian cricket's ever had, this one is going to be the biggest because we're going to have 
a situation where we may need to drop players who've performed well this summer. Just say they pick Joe Burns and he scores runs all summer. There, there may be a case to say he's just not going to get runs in India. We've got to bite the bullet and drop him. Mm. You wonder whether Rod Marsh is, you know, he would say, oh, who's Joe Burns again? Well, last time we played in India, I think we had Glenn Maxwell batting at three. That now, will happen again. Now, come on. Well, now you're going <laughs> mean, to... He's, I, I a, he's a open. brilliant one day. Uh, but he's not a number three. 2020. But he's not a, he's not a test player, is he? So, I think he is. So, so Paddy Howard... You think he is? He's got a first-class oh, average. Can you please breathalyse Paul? <laughs> I want to do that every show. Obviously drunk. He thinks Are he's a test me? opener, got, a one-day opener. No, he's got a test average of about 41. Uh, sorry, a first-class average of about 41, which is better than um, Cowan and Doolan and uh, for, for when Kawaja was first picked. There's plenty of them averaging in the high 30s. Maxwell scores his runs quickly. Um, he's got a, a couple of centuries in a, uh, a Shield game not long ago at a rate of knots. He bowls. He's a brilliant fieldsman. I think he's a better option than, than half of them. And I agree he's not a traditional test player. In India? In India, I think he's, he's got um, a fair degree of success in the IPL and other places like that. Who are you going to pick instead? Well, I, I, at three? Not I, I could pick many players at three. I'll bat three. Joe many. Um, so last <laughs> word on badly, last way. word on Rod, uh, Rod Marsh. Are we still on Rod? No. Paddy Howard said that he's done a very good job. He took the side to number one in the Test side. He took them into the 2015 World Cup to win it. But I think a lot of Rod Marsh's success will be measured this upcoming summer. We've got two great sides coming: South Africa and Pakistan, both in good form, both with a chance to turn Australia over on home soil. So I think a lot of his success will be determined in the next summer. What do you guys think about the the upcoming summer? Totally agree. Totally agree. There's no doubt about it. Like Australian cricket in Australia, traditionally super strong. I want us to go and do what we did under Gilchrist slash Ponting, you know, all those years ago and turn turn India over in India play really well against Sri Lanka, which we've obviously missed out on here, and go and win the Ashes again when they're over. Win them, win them and then retain them. That's, that's how you should be judged. That's not how on the, we grew up, Not Gus. on the We're, flat tracks That's here. how we grew up, Gus, Australia dominating overseas. And we took that for granted through the 90s and early my son, 2000s. My son has, doesn't understand all this losing to Sri Lanka business. He's like, what's going on, Dad? I don't understand either. <laughs> but well, um, Paddy Howard, obviously, he was the one that... Um, that put Rod Marsh in that position. So he has to say that. So he, he thought that Rod's done a good job. There's a massive shock. <laughs> now, Mark Taylor and Dean Jones, two high-profile cricket uh, celebrities, have come out this week. Mark Taylor firstly said that he thinks only five players are assured a spot in the first test. He named Warner, Smith, Neville, Hazelwood and Stark, if he's fit, as being the five only a short of a spot really? in the first test. So that's ruling out Lyon, well, Bogus, Mitch Marsh. Come on. Is, well, see, is, those three are, are guaranteed too. Surely. Yeah, surely. So Mark, who's going to play in that's front what of I was the like, Mark Taylor, this is very doom and gloom. I hope he's not one of the new selectors. <laughs> we put a, sure. a line through half the team. I think yeah. I, I agree with Gus that those three, are, I think, are certainties. You've got to give Mitchell Marsh another proper crack like he's been there all the roundabouts now hasn't he he's got a touch of magic about him that you just never know he may um, he may yet become a really really valuable player sure, I hope so yeah. he's he shown gives enough. you that fifth bowling option but yeah, my problem with Lyon is that um, in Australia I agree I pick him but I think where we've struggled in Sri Lanka and India in the past I think our batting I can sympathise with it because we're up against I mean um, the, the Sri Lankan bowlers in this recent series all had first class averages in the low 20s we're going to come up against um, Ashwin and Jadeja in a few months well, time Ashwin's doing things now that are literally quite incredible exactly six for seven for 
And bats well. He's a good cricketer. He's a very good cricketer. Um, he's a funny bloke as well. He's a smart guy on Twitter. Um, is he? Yeah. He I actually, don't follow him. I should start should following him. You should follow him, him. yeah. Um, he, looks, he's, looks, he's, he looks like he'd sound dull. He, um, uh, he sent a message during the last World Cup when Ireland played well. He wrote, Ireland! Exclamation mark. And a year later, I just <laughs> I facetiously sent out a tweet saying, hey, Ravi, who do you think is going to win the upcoming World T20? And CC'd that message so it looked like he was answering my question. <laughs> and um, he immediately retweeted it, which caused consternation. All these people think, Ashwin's thinking, tipping Ireland to win. And I thought, wow, well, he's a pretty smart guy. You've st- you started a little thing there. Yeah, I've got a bit of a crush on him. But, yeah. um, but Jadeja as well has got an <laughs> average... man of- love. <laughs> it's been happening a lot on the show, actually. With <laughs> Drunk and love. making love. Not making love, more in just cr- in cricket crunches. love, cricket love, okay. cricket love. But the concern yeah. is Lion over in India and, and Sri Lanka has not really ever performed. Is he going to this time round? Um, but surely Mark Taylor saying he's not going to get picked for the first test is just doom and gloom. Yeah, you're going to go mean, with I Zampa just, or someone like that instead. Like, yeah. is he? Has he got enough control? Like, he's been bowling well in the one days. If O'Keefe was fit, I'd consider giving him a go. Instead, yeah. I mean, I think O'Keefe he was has just to go. firing, wasn't he? Yeah, it was, it was really. Yeah, that that was that cost us big time. And then he's firing the outside back, the pub. Then he got back on the beers <laughs> back in Manly. <laughs> At least from my local club that I do, I do Manly Manly cricket clubs like awards nights and um, Ashes lunches and stuff. They're a ripper bunch of people at Manly and Soxall was there and he's such a lovely bloke. So when he did so well, then he got injured. I thought, okay, come back, get yourself right. And then three days later, he's on the tiles. You go, oh, mate. But yeah, yeah, he's a young bloke. He's learning as he goes along. Now, Gus, I'm going to put you on the spot. You're the selector. There's three batsmen that have to go into two spots. Sean Marsh, Joe Burns, Usman Khawaja. They're all fit. Burns misses out. Burns misses out. I so think who? so. I'm a big fan of Kawaj's. I just think he's got something really, really special. So you have Marsh, Sean Marsh, yep. and Warner opening. Yep. And then Kawaj at three. Exactly right. It's not. It's 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 not. It's not Hayden. Um, Langer. It's not Langer Ponting. Ponting by any means. However, it's probably the best that we've got right now. So I would go with those blokes and I'd give them a good run. I used to love. I used to talk to my pommy mates saying, "You blokes change your team every single Test match." It got a little bit like that. For us, say to the guys, you've got this series, you know, and don't worry about what everyone's saying. You've got the three tests here. You've got six, probably six innings. You know, perform really well in three or four of those and you're good and you're sort of good to go. And Kawaja's got to turn a few of the thir- beautiful 30s and 40s into bigger scores. But now that's what hats that I'd go with. I agree. I think Kawaja last summer was so good uh, and just looked, um, you know. Burns was pretty good too last summer, though. A couple he was, of big hundreds. Yeah, but Kawaja was really even good. Left, right, up at the top. I think that I don't know. I, I think Kawaja deserves a much a, another chance. And what happened in Sri Lanka? That can happen. You can be kind of a deer in the headlights. Get a couple of quick wickets. Lose a couple of just get out. Wipe quite, that whole Sri Lankan thing. Yeah. Can we just sort of like just <laughs> can we erase just not talk it? about Sri Lanka or delete South Africa. It, delete anymore? it. Yeah, please. So you you wouldn't go for Kawaja. You'd have uh, no. Joe I like Burns. Kawaja at three. I'd probably have Burns opening. I, I hate dropping Sean Marsh, but. I just think it's that, he, that top three did so well in the home summer and then in New Zealand. It's a hard one to mess around with. But it's it's very cruel on Sean Marsh. Got 180 cent- odd and got, got, and got 100 got, in Sri Lanka. Got flicked and then goes and gets 100 in Sri Lanka. And, I mean, he must not quite know where he fits, you know. Yeah, the problem with Sean Marsh is that 
his overall record is not very good. I just don't think he's a good batsman. That's his problem. Um, oh, that's very hard. I don't know ball. if he's all that good at cricket. Oh. Um, <laughs> his, dad, his dad was my favourite player. Oh, his dad was my stodgy, favourite player. Stodgy, was favourite like Bruce Laird and Jeff Marsh. I love those sort of stodgy openers that you know took all day to get 38. I love all that sort of stuff. My dad and I used to watch cricket and um, we would bond over the fact that we both wanted Jeff Marsh to get out. Come on, mate. Oh, <laughs> One of the best days ever, that test match in England. when they uh, batted they all day. Him all. and Tubby. Him and Tubby. That was I just good. don't know, in hindsight, how they had the stamina to do that. Uh, yeah. Swampy, yeah, but Tubby, I don't know how he got through a day. No, that's a good point. A lot of stored fat, I guess. <laughs> and the next morning at lunch, um, after they lost their first wicket, uh, David Gower popped a bottle of champagne at, at lunch and, and, and toasted the Australians and said, to our first wicket. Uh, <laughs> you class act, David Gow. Yeah. All right, so we'll leave the selection table behind. But okay. now, now this is the segment, Gus, that has been uh, getting a lot of attention throughout the cricket community. It's the commentary critique. Oh. Now, recently, Channel 9 has responded to some heavy-handed criticism on this show and they've ousted Mike Hussey and Brett Lee and they're making big changes. You're in the, the guys behind box. all this. Look, there is, there <laughs> wow. is talk that we are behind all okay. this. Firstly, well, let's start with you, Gus. Yeah. Uh, Triple M, your emp- employer is doing the test cricket this yeah, summer. Yeah, we decided... You got any to, thought on doing ball by ball? I am. I'm going to do the Sydney test match. Brad McNamara, who was 18 years... EP of Channel 9's cricket has been signed by Triple M to run the team. And we've got quite a few blokes um, that can sort of double up. So James Brayshaw, for instance, JB, can do nine and then he can come across to Triple M. Okay. He's not the most popular commentator. He's, I've been defending him. Segment. I like him. I'm glad that you defend him, Paul, because I defend him as well. Um, you don't necessarily have had to play test cricket to be a decent commentator. No, but you have to be able to like entertain the listeners <laughs> I think he's and not annoy him half the audience. I think um, in terms of we're going to do things slightly differently, I'm waiting to hear exactly what Brad wants, but um, we're going to be doing the three with the next two years, the FM license holders of test cricket. So That's really cool. Whatever Brad des- decides to do, I think we'll probably do it in a slightly different way. I did hear that we're going to have people like um, Lawrence Mooney and Will Anderson, people like that okay. who are cricket lovers yep. coming in so they can can tell those sort of ripper Kerry O'Keefe type yarns yeah. or love of their cricket backyard stuff playing in the street as we all used to do. Podcasters? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got what's that CV you're giving me? Again, mate? I'll, I'll, I'll put it on Brad's desk. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So Hussey and Lee are out of the Channel Nine box. Pup and KP come in. Mm-hmm. What do we think of that? Because I think yeah. it's a downgrade. Well, I personally love Brett Lee. I love what he did with Michael Slater, especially on the cricket show. Yep. I would I would have kept him doing that type of stuff, but apparently he's a very busy guy. You hear all the time whether or not blokes are pushed or whether they're sacked or whether they go, you know what, it's way too much time for me and I've got a young family. I get all that. So if it's Brett's decision, good on him. I've got it's... a young family, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah. If they offered you a job, you would I mean... be there in a heartbeat. Um, Mike Hussey, for me, is a great loss because um, – well, if you don't like Mr. Cricket or if you don't love Mr. Cricket, then well, you Paul thought his commentary was pretty dull, didn't you? Oh, look, Mike Hussey's one of my favourite players. And no, we're not talking about their playing. I, I just think that he was um, full of breathless insights that weren't all, weren't all that insightful, in my opinion. See, um, I, I, see I, dis- I disagree. I thought Mike... I, I suppose I'm so in love with Mike Hussey that I sort of went, whatever he says goes. But if you're not totally in love with him, then you're probably critiquing him and saying, well, that's not actually necessary. But... For me, Mike Hussey, just such a legend. So I don't like KP. I think he's a, I. I, th- I think he's a complete you-know-what. Um, and he's probably Pup, going to talk about himself liked, a lot. I like Pup when he came in and did the guest stuff. They're telling me that he's going to host it. He's going to be like, he's going to go straight in to be skipper. 
So what happens to Mark Nicholas in that situation? Who knows? So it'll be interesting. But um, it's fun that Triple M are doing it and we're going to have a bit of fun. So what do you look for in good commentary then? Um, I don't mind a little bit of silence every now and again. Obviously, when you're talking TV here. Is that going to be part of your... Not on Triple M because <laughs> any silence is dead air and that's not good. So we're going to be gibbering the entire time. But in terms of um, test cricket, Richie Benno was the best. If you can't add anything to it, then just shut up. Exactly. Um, and obviously he'll be greatly missed. Tony's now been gone a little while, so he'll be greatly missed. Bill only doing the Boxing Day test. Huge miss not having him and Tony at the top of the order doing their stuff. So um, it's a different scene for, for, for Channel 9 and cricket now. Um, for me, I love, I don't mind feeling like I'm at a lunch, you know, which is what a lot of criticism on Channel 9 is It's a bit of a boys club. It's that... a boys club and they're telling stories. Well, that to me is gold. Like I've spent many an afternoon, spent hundreds of dollars on tickets to listen to these fantastic blokes tell their wonderful stories. So I feel like we're getting a bit of a freebie. Um, so for me, I'm just hoping that... Um, that pup, you know, steps up and he tells some proper stories and stuff. Yeah, He's we, not too try to be sort, too clinical. We've sort of thought on the show perhaps that what they need is, you know, two players and a journo to drive discussion more, to make yeah. to, to, to pull it past that boys club all the time. Yeah. And keep it going on the current issues and perhaps mixing a you know, like Triple M's talking about getting a third person in who's a little bit left of centre will yeah. will break it up a bit. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point of view. There's so many wonderful cricket writers as well in the broadsheets. I mean, there's 10 that I could name in the Australian, the Sydney Morning Herald and and, the, and maybe to a lesser extent the telly um, that would be fantastic to sort of hear with a couple of gurus. Yeah, no, good idea. I sometimes find that the criticism of Channel 9, I, I've said this before, but I, I think that we've got a... Uh, be careful what we wish for, that the fact that we get the cricket on free-to-air in this country is very rare in the world. You can't blame Channel 9 for saying we're in a, a ratings war to the death with Channel 7. We're assuming that there are going to be people who are likely to switch over at any moment, so let's pump it up, pump it up, pump it up the whole way through. I'd much rather that than the cricket be on a, behind a paywall like it is in England. Mm, good call. Good call. Well, good luck in your commentary this summer, Gus. Yeah, we'll be, be tuning well, in. No, and look, no you, doubt I'll be tuning in to you, but you'll be critiquing me, Paul. Big time Paul, we will. very hard. Big time we will, honestly. <laughs> on the drink, just so, giving it to me. For your, after your first spell, we'll be straight on to it. Oh, don't worry. Because you've been on the show, all good things. Okay. Um, so I want to end your appearance on the podcast this week with an issue that's very dear to your heart and something Paul and I have actually spoken about in the past in the podcast, which is about cricket's relationship with depression and the way a mental illness and the way men deal with mental illness. Yeah. And I, bef- before I pulled up a quote here from Ed Cowan that he wrote a couple of years ago, and I think it's a really interesting one and it ties in with the show you're doing on ABC called Man Up. And this is from Ed Cowan. It is estimated that one in six males will suffer from depression at some stage in his life. In line with this statistic, leading experts suggest that up to 15% of elite athletes are depression sufferers. That implies it it will on average affect about two men in every cricket change room. Perhaps the surprise is not how many players seem to be divulging recent mental troubles, but how few. Mm. What do you think about that? I'd agree, I would agree with that. I don't agree with a lot that Ed says, to be honest with you. I, I haven't I haven't really enjoyed his commentary on the ABC for whatever reason. It, it just doesn't do it for me, but he, I think he's right on the money there. I believe that it's more, it's closer to sort of 100% of men will have some sort of depression. And, and you may not want to call it depression because it's such a, it's a word that people sort of find as a, as a weakness and that sort of stuff. And I suppose man up's all about expressing 
how brave you are by actually saying that things aren't 100%. And it's okay if things not to be 100% in your life. Some days they're awesome, you roll along. There's other days you have dramas. That doesn't mean if you have a drama, you're depressed. It just means you're not having such a good day. You've got to work your way through that. But when it really becomes dark and it really becomes a problem, that's when we need our men to feel inspired to tell someone about it. And you should applaud them for that. And that's what Man Up's all about. And Ed's, Ed's right. Um, I think people saying that they're depressed compared to how many people are depressed is, is really low. In the, in the show, I watched the first episode of Man Up last night and the, the bit that was really uh, in amongst many interesting bits, but when you were up in the, um, was it the top end or in the, the, the outback? Yeah, yeah. With the blokes there. That was, Catherine, yeah. It was kind of like, um, it almost was part of their DNA that they had to be tough and stoic because otherwise the job wouldn't get done. Do you That's think there's right. some parallels to that and an international cricket dressing room where... Oh, for sure. I mean, if you're a cricket dressing room. Well, just, 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 I mean, I play for the Manaval Mullets. I mean, (laughs) just, just, and we're a dreadful team, but good bunch of blokes, and we have a really good end of season trip, which is the only reason I play now the odd game amongst those folks because that didn't make the show, but I actually interviewed my team, and it's actually a piece on the manup.org website. There's four blokes there that I spoke to who I all know need to talk to someone because I've known them for five years. And all of them straight up said, I don't talk to anyone about my feelings. Wow. I'm never going to. My dad didn't. So that's learnt behaviour to, to go along with the stereotypical way of dealing with things. And they might be able to manage it. And I really hope that they do. But there's a whole heap of blokes, eight a day in Australia, that aren't managing at all. 2,300 young men take their own life. The number one way to lose your life in Australia as a 15 to 44-year-old man is to take your own life. I mean, it's a national disgrace. So, so what's your message then to perhaps a cricketer listening who, who, who wants to talk to someone? Talk to someone. Yeah. You know, and if, and if that person that you're talking to doesn't listen, then wipe them. Wipe them and say, right, that's not the person for me. Go to the next person. There's going to be someone in that changing room that will allow you to be exactly who you want to be. We're not talking about, you know, in the run chase as you're meeting mid mid-pitch oh mate I've got some issues you know what I mean but get the job done not mid-podcast like Paul correct you know exactly wait for the podcast to finish Paul it's a simple game you know but at the end of the night and you're having a couple of drinks or whatever it might be just say mate can I can I spend five minutes or can I see you tomorrow morning for a coffee I need to talk to you about something and you're picking the if you pick the right person and they give you their time and they commit and they look you in the eye and you get that connection then hopefully they, they may not be able to help you but the conversation has started and you've shared the problem and then they might be able to get you on to someone that can help. There's so many people there willing to help, beautiful people all around Australia. Why don't we talk to each other about things that are really important? We love talking in banterland about the weather, about our sporting cricket. teams, cricket, our, our wives, our girlfriends, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to talking about things that really matter, like, you know, I'm feeling really sad and I don't know if I want to be around anymore – we don't have anyone we can talk to. Come on, yeah. we've got to we've change. Got to we've change got to change that. that. And cricket mentality. dressing rooms should be a starting point for that. Totally, totally. And you know what? You'd be the first one to come out and say it. Be the brave one. Yeah, I can tell you what. Everyone will fall in the line. Gus, thank you so much for coming on the Australian Cricket Podcast. I know we're running out of time, but it was great to get your insights into what you, what's going on in Australian cricket. And we'll be looking forward to hearing you commentating on the test this summer. Can't wait for Paul to bag me. That <laughs> <laughs> Gus Wallen. What a okay, give job what to a poor any job. old clown, I tell you. <laughs> I Thank gu- you, boys. I love the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. I guarantee, Gus, I will talk favourably about you. Last time I was with Paul, just quietly, he was drunk. We were both drunk together. Yeah, he at, tells at, the story. At, at Pagey, who's 
you know, one of the grill teamers, um, Bucks Night. We had a fantastic day. So it was nice to see you, Paul. Nice to see you soberish. <laughs> Talking sense or some sense. Anyway. Some sort of sense. And thanks for your time too, mate. <laughs> Best of luck with the podcast. Thank you, mate. Cheers. No worries. And listeners, we'll be back in a sec to conclude the show. One run to win. Seagulls are flying, saluting the Australians. There it is. Wonderful victory. Wonderful innings. There goes Michael Hussey. Listen to the crowd. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was Mike Hussey smashing the winning runs in that famous Adelaide test that Gus said were his his favourite cricketing moment when he was following around the Australian cricket team. Paul, how are you? Great manners. That was one of the few test matches that have cut through to the non-cricket fan. I remember the Edgebaston game in 2005 when people who had never shown any interest in cricket before were watching it. I was at work in that 2006-07 Adelaide game and people were crowding around the television who I'd never seen show an interest in sport before. Yeah, famous match. And before we move on and wrap up the show, I want to talk about the Have A Go Your Mug promotion, the Have A Go Your Mug mug promotion that we're doing on the show. So basically, if you can leave a review for the podcast on any iTunes store and email me at ozcricketpod, auscricketpod at gmail.com. That's auscricketpod at gmail.com. Leave a review on iTunes and email me because I cannot check all of the iTunes store. I'm still waiting for a review on the Mozambique iTunes store. But yeah, whatever exotic location, leave a review, email me, and you go in the draw for an Australian cricket podcast. Have a go, you mug mug. And uh, this week we've got three winners because I thought three guys got straight on and left a review this week. We had Nicholas, Ahmed and Mr. Rex Dog. You all get a mug for being the, the first three cabs off the rank and leaving some good reviews. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. And Graham Nobes, also you get a mug for subscribing to the show for $5 a month on Patreon. So if you want to skip the iTunes review, go onto the Patreon website, find the Australian Cricket Podcast and subscribe to the show there and you'll also get a have a go, you mug, mug. Whatever app you listen to the show on, you can rate the show and, and send me an email and let me know you've done it so you can go in the draw. Much appreciated for those people that got in there this week and did it. Now, Paul, we will be talking about the Have A Go Your Mug promotion again, but we won't be talking about the 5-0 defeat that Australia suffered in South Africa. It was the first time Australia has ever lost a one-day series 5-0. The wrong type of history to be made, no doubt. Yeah, in the lead-up to it, man, as we were all saying that it was going to be a forgettable series, and for Australians it'll be even more forgettable given the result. I don't think there's any great significance to it going forward, but um, it was an embarrassing 5-0 drubbing. I've got a couple of stats here that display what a bad performance it was. South Africa's run rate for the whole series was 6.88. So they were going it over a runner ball for the whole series. That's their highest ever run rate in a series of uh, five ODI matches. And it was the highest ever run rate that Australia has conceded in a series of five or more matches. So really poor performance from Australia's bowling. The one bright spot was the Reverend David Warner's 173 out of 296 in the final ODI of the tour. It was his fifth one-day international century of the year. It's a format he is certainly now mastered. He joins Ponting and Hayden as the only Aussies to score five one-day 
international centuries in a calendar year. And to give you an idea of how dominant he was in that final match, he scored 58.44% of the runs scored by the Australian team in that game. And that's the second best ever by an Aussie. Damien Martin, interestingly, holds the most. He scored 116 out of 191 on a tour of New Zealand way back in 2000. Uh, Warner finished the series with 386 runs. The next best for this series was Steve Smith with 151. So amazing stuff from Warner and not so good from our bowlers. No, and just putting that South African stat into context that they're um, an average run rate of 6.88, that translates to a score of 344. 300 used to be almost inconceivable. 350 was inconceivable, but... Um, to be able to for South Africa if they played a seventh game if they played a sixth game and South Africa had scored three hundred and forty to be able to say well that was um, below par for us that's it shows just how astonishing it was. Warner's so good now at this form of the game. He's got the perfect game for one day cricket because when the field's up in the early on, he can go berserk and get away to a flyer. But he's also really comfortable now grafting away in these one days. He sees the value in sort of batting through that 10 to 30 over mark and hitting the singles, hitting the odd boundary, but accumulating runs. It's it's really good uh, good development from Warner in this form. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit about Warner that reminds me of, of Coley, that they're both, I think, even better than their records at test level yet show. They've both got very good test records. I, I think they both should be averaging well into the 50s. And I, I, I hope that Warner in the next few years really starts to dominate at test level in the way that I think he can. Now, I don't think Imran Tahir will be sending David Warner many congratulations after that series. I don't know if you saw, but Tahir and Warner had a massive spat. Seemed to come from mainly from Tahir directed at Warner. Obviously, uh, the Reverend David Warner getting under Tahir's skin. It's not like Australians to be involved in spats, is it? I had a feeling you'd have some kind of response like that, Paul. So that was the forgettable South African One Day series. Uh, I don't think we'll ever speak about that again in the podcast unless it's unintentional. Now, finally, to wrap up the week in the Matador Cup, I don't want to go into great detail about the Matador Cup uh, right now. It's the, it's the top three go through to the final. But what I want to talk about is the records in the Matador Cup. South Australia amassed the highest total in the history of one-day domestic cricket. They scored 420 for seven uh, against the CA11, beating the record of four for 405 that was made by Queensland against Western Australia in 2004. Now, I ask you, Paul, shouldn't records against the CA11... Be, have a different category altogether or should they have an asterisk against them? Yeah, I'd excise them from the list day records. I think that the when we had Australia A in the international summer back in 1994-95, those games that Australia A played in weren't counted as part of international one-day cricket, even though they were part of the World Series cricket that summer. I, I think that should be the same here. And, I mean, it doesn't really matter. But this competition, people may not realise, it started way back in 1969. It has a quite a, a, a venerable history. And it, it probably isn't ideal for, especially given if sides are running up records against them, it's not the ideal situation. No, no, it's not good for the look of the comp. I really don't like it. I, I just think it brings the whole comp down when you have records like that being toppled against the CA11. So the Matador Cup is really heating up. Queensland lead the ladder with 17 points. You've got Victoria on second with 16 points. And there's a log jam for that vital third spot. New South Wales are on 13 points. South Australia on 12 points. And Western Australia on 11 points. And Tasmania on 9 points. So all of those teams you think have a chance at finishing third. The top the top team goes through to the final automatically. And two and three play off for a spot in the final. And that concludes uh, in about 10 days 
today's time. So coming to the pointy end of the Matador Cup. Yeah, and um, it's going to be good to to get to the actual real international component of the cricketing summer. And just something touching back on something that we talked about with Gus, that the fact that Triple M are going to be, going to be calling the test matches this summer, I think is such a wonderful development. But that Well, what, do we get more ads? No, that, <laughs> just that it shows the, the strength of cricket in, in Australia, that um, we've now got, obviously, the Channel 9 coverage, we've got the Channel 10 coverage of the Big Bash, the ABC radio coverage of the cricket, 2UE um, in Sydney and, and other stations around the country are covering the Big Bash as well. To now have Triple M covering test cricket, I think that's a wonderful barometer. Triple M, the station that is very, very kind of um, overtly masculine and it's a rugby league station in Sydney and an Aussie rules station in Melbourne, for them to not just be covering cricket but the most traditional form of the game, I think it's a a really wonderful piece of news. Yeah, I think it's good to have choice as a listener on what you're going to listen to in the car or down at the beach where you can flick around and get the best commentary. And, you know, we've been pretty critical of the commentators. If someone's annoying you now, you're you're going to be able to just turn the station. Yeah, absolutely, and the fact that um, that you have got, have got that choice is, as I say, a reflection of the of the health of the game in the country. Well, Paul, thanks for joining me this week on the Australian Cricket Podcast, listeners. I hope you enjoyed having our special guest Gus Warland on the show this week. Um, we are going to be back next week with another show. Enjoy the rest of the Matador Cup. Only a couple of weeks till the first test against South Africa. So exciting times. Enjoy the cricket. Thanks, Paul. Take it easy. Thanks, man. And see ya. Bye bye. Stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Sports Social Podcast Network.